0: Okay, Christoph, so you're starting a series entitled Secularity Explored. You'd better explain that right away. We're a church that values Bible teaching, and in particular, we have benefited for many years now from uh, systematic expository preaching where we study a book of the Bible from start to finish and humble ourselves to pay attention to what God says to us through His Word. Uh, Friends, let me reassure you that I'm absolutely committed to teaching the Bible and to systematic expository Bible teaching. I have never done the calculations, but my estimation is that about 80 or 90 percent of my preaching comes in the form of systematic expository preaching. And that's not going to change, so please rest assured about that. And yet, I think it's important occasionally to take a little bit of time to inform ourselves about significant matters in our culture from a biblical perspective in a way that might be difficult to do in a systematic expository series. Uh, I'm trying to think of an example, so you might remember that we took a break from expository preaching in the springtime earlier in 2023, and we took about four weeks to think about what God's Word teaches about the Bible, uh, about family, sorry. I still have people uh, coming to me and telling me how they were encouraged or challenged by what they heard in that series. With this series, the topic is an absolutely crucial one, and I've sort of discovered as I've been talking to people the last few days, people are nervous about talking about it. That makes it all the more important, I think, to go there. We're gonna talk about secularity and we're called the series Secularity Explored. That's a, that's a homemade title by me, by the way. And you might have spotted the pun because if you've been around this church or other churches like it, you might know that we run courses like Christianity Explored or Discipleship Explored or Hope Explored because we're in the business of helping people find their way to Jesus Christ this course is gonna be a little bit different. It's gonna recognize that our culture is walking away from Jesus Christ. And although I find that difficult and wish it weren't so, I think burying my head in the sand and acting as if it wasn't the case may not be the best response. So what we're gonna do is we're gonna try and understand what's going on in our culture a little bit better so that we're better able to help our friends to, to come to saving faith in Jesus Christ. If you need a biblical mandate for the kind of thing that we're doing here this evening, let me point you to the men of Issachar. Do you know the men of Issachar? Maybe you don't. Uh, let me introduce you to them. Flick with me for a second to First Chronicles chapter 12. First Chronicles chapter 12, I think in the Pew Bible, you'll find it on page 417. At this point in his... Uh, Story in his narrative, the narrator is telling us about lots of people who have joined David around about the time that the kingship in Israel is about to swing from Saul to David. He's telling us about lots of different types of people. You'll see that as you scan the chapter, but we find the men of Issachar in particular in verse 32. The narrator tells us about the men of Issachar. Listen to this they understood the times and knew what Israel should do. They understood the times and knew what Israel should do. Friends, I would love it if people were saying that about the Presbyterian Church in Ireland. I would love it if people were saying that about us here at Hamilton Road, that we know the times we're living in and we know how God wants us to live in these times. Actually, that's my hope for this series, is that God will use it to educate us, equip us, and inspire us to to be ready to take the gospel in a new way to a secular city. Let's think for a moment about secularity in Bangor. I think we feel it, its growing influence. Whenever I first came to Bangor as a wee boy, over 40 years ago, I think I still remember a sense of a traffic jam on a Sunday morning. As, as everybody, or nearly everybody, was in the car and heading out to church. The roads aren't quite so busy anymore, are they? We're still people going to church, but, but not as many, substantially less. Church going seems thinner on the ground. We see churches closing. We hear rumors of, of others that might. And in many churches that are still open, the congregations are dwindling. Folks, I, we're we're shielded from that a little bit here. On a Sunday morning here, the, the, we've got a really lovely full congregation, and that's something to celebrate, but, but that's not the case in so many other churches. I don't know if you know that. The only thing that's growing in, in many of these churches is the number of candles on the birthday cakes. That's the only growth there is. It certainly feels like Bangor's becoming a more secular city. It feels that way, but, but is it really true? Do the statistics bear it out? Whenever Edgar Jardin analyzed the Northern Ireland census of 2021 for the General Assembly of the Presbyterian Church in Ireland, he had this to say about trends in religious affiliation. The religious affiliation of the population is changing with those describing themselves as Roman Catholic exceeding, themse- exceeding those describing themselves as Protestant for the first time in 2021. However, there's a rapidly growing part of the population that does not identify with either of the two main religious blocks. This is particularly the case in local government districts with the highest Protestant population, i.e. Ards and Down, Lisburn and Castlereagh. Did you get that? Across Northern Ireland as a whole, a growing number of people say, I don't have any religion. I'm not going to tick a box on a form. I'm going to tick the non-box. And actually, whenever we look in detail at the actual figures for religious identification by area, I think we have a slide for this, north down and Orange is bottom of this table, but top of the league in terms of people who claim to have no religious affiliation. The nones, as people are calling them, none, no religion. A staggering 31% in our area claim no religion. So to answer our question, is Bangor really secular in the way that we we feel that it is? The answer is yes. North down and Ards is the most secular part of Northern Ireland, and no other part comes close. My question is, surely we'd want to learn a bit about that. Surely we'd want to understand that. Surely we'd want to learn how God is calling us to live in these times. Let me give you an idea of the approach we're going to take as we explore secularity together we're gonna invite someone who's given the question of secularity a lot of thought to be our guide. Some of you may have heard of or met Glenn Scrivener. He spoke here in 2022 at an evangelist conference, and I was in the audience that day, and I heard him share some material from his latest book at the time, this book here, The Air We Breathe. It gives a, a fascinating perspective on secularity and Christian faith. And this series, although I've called it Secularity Explored, will be based very much on the material in Glenn's book. So, by the way, if you've read that book and you hear me plagiarizing, I'm reteaching this book, so don't come and tell me. I know that. I'm telling you today that I'm, I'm repackaging and representing mostly the material in that book. As I've explained my title of Secularity Explored, let, let me allow Glenn to explain his. He begins his book with a humorous illustration. An older goldfish swishes by a couple of small fry. How's the water, boys? He inquires. Water? What's water? They reply. Glenn goes on to explain that goldfish don't see water. Goldfish see what's in the water, they see what's refracted through the water, but they don't see the water. And yet there it is, it's their environment, it's universal, but it's invisible. It shapes everything they do and everything they see, but they don't see it. And then the author presents his argument, he says, if you're a Westerner, whether you've set foot in a church or not, whether you've clapped eyes on the Bible or not, whether you consider yourself an atheist, a pagan, or a Jedi Knight, you are a goldfish. And Christianity is the water in which you swim. Or to say the same thing in a slightly different way, Christianity for all of us is the air we breathe. It's our atmosphere, it's our environment both unseen and all-pervasive. Now, what I've just said there might get the 31% of the Bangor population who identify as non's thinking or, or disagreeing. Christianity, I, I don't identify as Christian, so I don't see how Christianity is the air that I breathe. Maybe some might even say, Christianity is absolutely not the air that I breathe. I left the church, I left the faith to get out of all that and to breathe some pure, fresh, religionless air. Well, in this series, as we explore secularity, we're going to see that everyone in our culture depends on values and goals and ways of thinking about values and goals that have been deeply and distinctively shaped by the Jesus revolution, by Christianity. These values are now so all-pervasive, so universal that they become the air that we breathe. What What do I want you to gain from this series? Why have I chosen to do what I'm doing? Well, that depends on who we are. I'm not going to assume tonight that we're all the same. Maybe, maybe a lot of us do have things in common, but I'm just going to allow that we're not all the same. So let's begin with the nuns. That's the 31% in the 2021 census. That growing section of Western society who, when they're asked in a survey to tick their religion, they tick the non box. Perhaps that's you. And you say, Christianity, remind me. Can't remember much about it. You don't know very much about Christian teaching. You're interested enough to come and hear a little bit about it. As you do so, you might consider yourself a total outsider to the Christian faith. My first word is this, don't be so sure. Goldfish might not know much about the water in which we're swimming, but it's still central to their lives. In the same way, if you're at all interested in matters like equality, compassion, consent, enlightenment, science, freedom, and progress, then you are breathing the Christian air, perhaps more than you realize. In this series, we're going to take you on a journey to help you see that Christianity is the air that you breathe. And how Jesus Christ is the wonderful person who offers you that air. So we've thought about what the nuns might get from this series. What about the duns? That's people who are done with Christianity. Do you know that that's an important category for us now? That we're living in a time when more and more people are walking out of church. They're deciding that they're done. For for folks who are done, they say, been there, done that 13 years in Sunday school, no thanks. Or you say, I studied Christianity at some point and, and it didn't answer my questions. I was a regular churchgoer, but it's not for me. If you're one of those and you're here this evening, let me say, if you have questions about the church or you're frustrated with it, join my club. I see more than you see. I have more cause sometimes to be disillusioned with the church. So I take your experience seriously and I want to respect the reasons you might feel that you have that Christian faith is not for you. Nevertheless, I want to show you that you're not done with Christianity, any more than you're done with breathing. Like air, Christianity is so pervasive that we can't help depending on it, even when we protest against it. You might feel, because of how you're experiencing life at the moment, and I think this is where British culture's at, you might feel that Christianity is unequal, that it's cruel, that it's coercive, that it's ignorant, that it's anti-science or restrictive and backwards. That's, that's a pretty common perception of Christianity. That's why so many people feel they're done with it. If you're frustrated with Christianity at these points, let me tell you, I agree in part with your critique, because that sounds like the church that frustrates me too. But what I want to help you see is that that is not, in all cases, the, the movement birthed by Jesus Christ. I believe that in the process of having another look at Christianity, you could see yourself coming closer to the essence of Christian faith. So we've talked about the duns, we've talked about the nuns, I'm going to talk finally about a category that might characterize many of us here this evening, and that is the ones. We've been won over by Jesus Christ. We're longing to grow as his faithful followers. What might we learn in a series like this? Well, as I said at the outset, I want us to learn to understand our times. To stop hiding in the corners and wishing it weren't so. Let's, let's open our eyes and our ears and get to know the culture that we're living in. Let's get to know Bangor. Maybe you're looking at Secular banger, and it's different than the one you grew up in and you wonder how we got here, and you're wondering whether Jesus Christ and his gospel could ever be relevant to your neighbor, and perhaps you're even wondering whether it can continue to be relevant to you. I hope as we move through this series, you'll be strengthened in your own faith. You'll be encouraged to share your faith with your secular neighbors. For too long, Satan's had us believing that we're part of a dying tribe, that life with Jesus is some sort of wee hobby that we have. We are following Jesus, other people are into golf or sea swimming. Folks, Jesus doesn't stand beside golf and sea swimming. Jesus Christ is not a peripheral concern, he's not a hobby for for some of us. He is the Lord of history. He is the mayor of Ards and North Down. In him, our lives and our beliefs and our practices and our world make sense. <clears throat> We're going to pause for a moment and sing together. We're thinking about a, a city that's increasingly secular, and yet Jesus Christ is mighty to save. That hasn't changed, and it's never going to change. We just read a very familiar passage from John chapter 1. I'm not going to preach it, but I do want to point out a a very profound message recorded for us in there. Just, Just as John's reflecting on that coming of Jesus, it's still fresh in our minds. We've just come out of the Christmas season and we read this at our carol service. Look at verse 12. Sorry, begin, look with me first at verse 11. He came to that which was His own, but His own did not receive Him. I grew up in a banger that felt a wee bit like it might still have been Jesus' own people. Doesn't this sound a little bit like a contemporary banger, a city with a glorious Christian heritage where many are choosing now to reject Jesus Christ? But look at verse 12. John tells us that while some reject Jesus, to those who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Friends, make no mistake about it. Jesus is alive and well in our city. He is drawing sons and daughters into the family of God while you're listening to me. Just this week, I met a young man for the first time, and after a short interaction, he sent me an email in which he said he wanted to keep taking steps that will help me progress in my desire to welcome God into my life. It's happening all the time. We just need to get in. We need to get involved. We need to pray our way into what God is going to do in this city. I'm going to take a moment to explain the journey we're going on with this series, and then we'll spend our last few moments getting the the journey properly underway. In this series, we're going to look at five values of our modern Western society to see how each one was given to us by Christianity, by the the Jesus revolution, as Glenn Scrivener keeps calling it. Whether we claim to be Christians or not, we hold these values dear, and it's important that we see that these values were given to us by Jesus Christ and by the Christian movement he birthed. So we're going to look at equality. We believe in the equal status of every member of the human race, no matter their rank, race, religion, gender, or sexuality. We're going to look at compassion. We believe that a society should be judged by the way it treats its weakest members. We're going to look at consent. We believe that the powerful have no right to force themselves on others. We're going to look at freedom. We believe that persons are not property and that each of us should be in control of our own lives. We're going to look at progress. We believe in moral improvement over time and that we should continue to reform our society of its former evils. Okay, let's spend the remaining few moments of our time together looking at the first of these values, namely equality. Just over three years ago, On the evening of the 17th of September in 2021, a former Supreme Court justice provoked an outrage with an audience in a studio, but then a wider television audience at home with, with a broadcast when he said this, I do not accept that all lives are equal. Like every seemingly controversial comment, it deserves to be heard in its context. Lord Sumption was speaking on the BBC's Big Questions. He was debating whether the government mandated second lockdown was a proportionate response to the pandemic. He was arguing that while the elderly were more affected by COVID, the young were more affected by lockdowns. In his view, the lockdown had been punishing too many for the greater good. And this, of course, prompted a question, well, if you're not going to lock down, are the elderly to be sacrificed for the good of the young? And speaking as a retiree, Sumption seemed prepared to make just that sacrifice. My children's and my grandchildren's lives are worth more than mine because they've got more of it ahead of them. And it was in this context that he said, I don't accept that all lives are equal. As soon as he started speaking about human value and worth, and particularly when he started to suggest that human value and worth might be unequal, assumption triggered an outrage. It kept the newspapers and the TVs buzzing for at least a week. It didn't help his cause that within moments of him speaking in that television studio questioning our equal human value, Sumption was confronted by a woman vulnerable to COVID because she had cancer. Deborah James protested, with all due respect, I'm the person whom you say their life is not valuable. Sumption interrupted her with what he hoped would be a clarification, but ended up only adding fuel to the fire. He said, I didn't say your life's not valuable. I just said it was less valuable. Not worthless, just worth less. As you can imagine, the comment only added to the outrage. It's difficult to think of a statement more offensive to a modern Western sensibility than the idea that we're not equal. The idea that the old, the young are more valuable than the old, or that the, the healthy are more valuable than the sick, it makes us cross. It makes me cross even to be talking about it. It's interesting to see what Deborah James said in her comeback to Lord Sumption. Who are you? to put a value on life. In my view, and I think I speak for many others here, she said, life is sacred. And I don't think you should make those judgment calls. All life is worth saving, regardless of what life it is that people are living. Notice that she intuitively expects equality with no reason to believe that she's religious. She didn't make her points based on that. And yet she's talking about life being sacred. Lord Sumption's comments and the response that it stirred in Deborah James and probably in us too, it shows us that we've almost a religious sense that all life is equal. And to question it's an outrage. Now here's what's interesting. Although that belief in equality is part of the Christian air that we breathe, that belief in equality wouldn't exist without Christianity. I wonder if you understand that. I wouldn't have realized this. To help us see this, Glenn Scrivener asks us to imagine the Greek philosopher Plato being brought into that TV studio back in 2021. So there he is, blinking in the studio lights. He's baffled by all the technology he sees around him, but he's asked whether he agrees with this claim, some lives are worth more than others. You you watch Plato, your eyes are trained on him, and he's scratching his head. It's so obvious. What even is the question? For the father of Western philosophy, it's a no-brainer. Of course, all human lives aren't equal. Are you guys mad? Some are men and others are women. Some are Greeks and others barbarians. Some are rich and others poor. Some are wise and and others foolish, there are the the strong and and there are the weak. What are you even talking about with your notion that all human beings are equal? Do you get the point? The belief in human equality which seems so self-evident to us in Bangor in 2024 wasn't self-evident to most cultures throughout history and still isn't self-evident in many parts of the world today. Our belief in human equality is part and parcel of our Christian heritage. So how exactly does Christianity teach human equality? Well, I've got time to show you just two beautiful truths very quickly. Grab your Bibles. I want to show you God created us equal and Jesus makes us equal. So, first of all, the truth that God created us equal, chapter 1 of Genesis. You, you knew I was going to say that. Chapter 1 of Genesis. The Bible's creation narrative, it doesn't strike us as revolutionary or remarkable, but that's only because we haven't compared it To the origin stories, the founding stories of many other worldviews and religions. Because we're familiar with this narrative, we've taken its consequences for granted. Many of the assumptions of Genesis 1 have become the air that we breathe. So, let's give the ancient text another look. Look at that opening verse. In the beginning, God. Actually, in the Hebrew, it says, in the beginning, Elohim. The Old Testament part of the Bible is written in Hebrew. And the Hebrew grammar is a little bit strange at this point. So Elohim, the Hebrew word for God, is a plural noun. But it always goes hand in hand with a singular verb. So it's a bit like saying in English, that the dogs is barking. So there's a strange interplay right from the beginning of the biblical story about who God is. When it comes to God, the Bible continually brings to our attention that there's something multiple about God, but there's also something singular. The biblical story, unlike some other primeval stories, isn't a story of multiple gods at war with each other. Instead, the biblical story is about a personal God who is a three-unity or a tri-unity or or we might say a trinity. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are one in the most profound sense. So, the God at the heart of our world and existence is a community of love. Now, the Bible has something astonishing to say about this God and how He relates to human beings. Look down to verse 26. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. So there it is, on the first page of the Bible, all of humanity male and female alike stamped with the image the likeness of god friends we take that for granted but ancient readers of this text they would have choked on it male and female equal male and female in god's image male and female to rule together over the earth unheard of. In other creation stories, a a king would be said to be made in the image of God. And you know what kings do? They make treat everyone else as their minions. It's the opposite of equality. So, we see this right at the beginning of the Bible that God created us equal. But I want to show you as we close that Jesus makes us equal. Nowhere do we see God's commitment to the equality of human beings more clearly than in Jesus Christ, God among us. Folks, Jesus was born into a world with levels of inequality that that we couldn't even begin to imagine. The gap between the haves and the have-nots in Jesus' culture was huge and almost entirely unbridgeable. Social mobility was not a thing. But watch how Jesus lives in that world. If you imagine the person with the highest, the highest personal authority and the highest level of of dignity, and he spends his time almost exclusively with the poor. He raises up the oppressed in a country well known for its xenophobia. He's a friend and a champion of the foreigner. In a culture that we could only describe as extremely patriarchal and chauvinistic, he championed women. Every moment of every day, Jesus Christ demonstrated the equality of the human being. And why would he do that? Because when he created this world, he built it into its DNA. When the church grew up in the name of Jesus, when it talked about humanity, equality, and solidarity was a given. According to the Apostle Paul, we're equal in ways that we wish we weren't. We're equal in our sin, he said. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But Paul wants us to know, too, that we're equal in our redemption, in this new community that's created around Jesus. He tells the Galatians, so in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile. Now, Plato's blowing up at this point. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, there's neither slave nor free, there's neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ. In our creation, in our redemption, Christianity insists on the equality of human beings. Almost everyone in our culture delights in that equality but many have lost sight of the fact that it's a gift given from our creator God and the community built up around His Son, Jesus Christ. So there it is. We're up and running with our series, Secularity Explored. I thought I'd finish by telling you what happens next. What do we do with this? You probably don't know. I hardly know. We're gonna space these out at a rate of about one per month. And over the next months, we're gonna deal with some of those values I mentioned. Values of our culture for which we're indebted to Christianity. Compassion, consent, freedom, and progress. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to come back and I want you to learn along with me about this culture that we live in and how, how, how the Christian gospel is right at the heart of it in ways that we've forgotten and don't always see. So you keep coming back. Invite others. Invite friends from the church family. You're, I, I know you guys. You're the guys who come out on Sunday evenings. Invite some others to come and join us. To, to learn more too. But here's something to think about. Do you have any friends who are nuns or duns? These talks, more than this evening, this evening I was setting this up for you. I didn't tell you to invite your friends. I wanted to get a chance to talk to you before we did that. But next time when we come back, we'll be talking about this in a way that will be comfortable and I hope helpful for people who think they've given up on Christian faith, the duns and the nuns. So if you have any of those in your life, start thinking, start praying, and bring them back here in a month's time when we continue this series together. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for those beautiful words that Jesus spoke that we tend to paint on posters at the side of the road, but maybe have forgotten to pay attention to. God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believed in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Lord, thank you that you love Bangor. You love it today every bit as much as you did 50 years ago or 100 years ago or 1,000 years ago. You love this city. You love its people. And you've given your son Jesus so that they might not perish but find eternal life. Lord, I pray that you would take from us fully and finally that fear that's grown where we don't even like to think about our city anymore because, we, because our hearts are broken or because we're fearful of it. Lord, take that away. That's served Satan's purposes for far too long. Lord, give us a new compassion for our city, a new confidence that you, by your Spirit, are at work and can reach lost people for Jesus today as much as you ever did before. And then, Lord, send us out ready to play our part in reaching lost men and women, boys and girls, for you. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.